Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. All right. Well, are y'all ready to get into the text today? Y'all ready to hear the Word of God? All right, well, we're going to begin here in Luke chapter 17, and we're going to begin in verse 11. And we're going to look at a a rather short story that, well, has huge implications for our lives. We're going to look at this short story from the Gospel of Luke that, let me be honest, everybody here needs to hear. Now, there are those messages that I've preached, and I've heard afterwards people come up and say, Hey, Pastor Scott... That was a word, and that word, that was for me. Do y'all ever feel like I'm preaching to you? People sometimes feel like I'm preaching at them. I'm not, I'm preaching to you. Uh, But I've had, some of you have come up and you said, hey, that was for me. And then there are those messages that I preach afterwards. I have people come up and say, hey, that was good. And it wasn't really as much for me as it was for my spouse, (laughs) you know, or for somebody else. Uh, Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like you needed to hear it, but it wasn't so much for you, at least in your own perspective. It wasn't for you, it was for somebody else. Well, I would imagine that what I'm going to preach to you today, uh, well, it's for each and every one of you here, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no longer, no matter how long you've been a Christian, uh, th- this, this is for you. So let's, let's lean in and hear the word of God today. We're going to pick it up once again. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. Here's what Luke, the physician, tells us. On the way to Jerusalem, he, that is Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by Ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, say this part with me, have mercy on us. Now let me just let me stop right right at this point. Luke is, of course, the author of what we call the Gospel of Luke, and he was by profession a physician. So there are a lot of different ways you could tell this story, but Luke, the physician, tells this story from his own professional perspective. He investigated the story, he investigated the account of Christ, and he he put together this fantastic spirit-inspired account that we call the Gospel of Luke. And so here Luke tells us about Jesus coming into this village, and we're told here by Luke that as Jesus does, well, Uh, There are 10 lepers who cry out, out of their need, they they cry out saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, as we read through stories like this one, well, we have to be careful. We have to be careful not to move too fast. We have to be careful not to just read it and and get through it, to say we read it and got through it. Well, we have to take our time and we have to pay attention to details, to words and word pictures and such. And so as we read this account from uh, Luke the physician, well, one thing is obvious here in the text. You don't have to look very far to see this, that, that Jesus encountered 10 men, 10 individuals who had a very awful condition called leprosy. 
Now, I believe everyone here has heard of leprosy. Is everyone here? You've heard of this before? Okay. Leprosy, though it's not common to your experience, uh, most of us here, at least, of course, we, we know at least to some degree what, what leprosy is all about. But these, these 10 lepers, they cried out to Jesus, and essentially they're wanting him to show them mercy. And as we look at this ancient text, we, we don't know all the details about the precise form of leprosy that these lepers had. There are, well, different forms of leprosy. There's the general type, which just affects the skin. And then there's the more recent version that's called Hansen's disease. And so there are variations of leprosy throughout the, the centuries that we could look at. But in its, in its basic form here, the leprosy, well, it was a miserable condition uh, for those who had it, these 10 lepers were affected by it physically, emotionally, and as we're going to see, socially. And so at, at the very least, this was, a, this was a terrible skin disease and perhaps even a, a nerve disease that affected the nerve endings of lepers. Uh, some lepers had missing toes and missing fingers uh, and other body parts because uh, some of them could not feel pain. That would make an otherwise healthy person recoil at heat or from other uh, source of harm. And so lepers would run into things. They would cut themselves. They would get near things that were hot and, of course, uh, at times burn themselves. Okay, So we don't know everything that was going on in this text with these particular lepers, but we do know this for a fact, that these lepers were considered unclean and were forced to remain 50 paces, 50 steps away from healthy society. Notice that Luke says that they stood at a distance, which means that they practice, well, an ancient form of, that's right, social distancing. Now, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, all I'm going to say is that, that this sort, the ancient sort, was actually prescribed in the Old Testament for those who had leprosy and other diseases. So let me, let me take you to the Old Testament to give you a little bit of background about uh, the way that lepers were treated and so forth. Here in Leviticus 13, beginning in verse 40, here's what the writer tells us. If a man's hair falls out of his head, he is bald. That's very profound, isn't it? <laughs> now, of course, the text continues. Uh, he is clean. Come on. And all the bald men said, amen, you're clean. <laughs> and if, now, this is where it kind of gets weird. But and if, Well, it kind of already did. It gets a little bit weirder here. Verse 41. If a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has baldness of the forehead. And praise God, he is. And people think the Bible's boring. I'm like, you don't read it, do you? People that say that. He is clean. Verse 42. But if there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish white diseased area, it is a leprous disease breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Verse 43. Then the who? Then the priest shall examine him. And if the diseased swelling is reddish white on his bald head or his bald forehead, like the appearance of leprous disease in the skin of the body, he is a what? A leprous man, he is what? Unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean. His disease 
is on his head. Verse 45, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be where? Outside the camp. Now, let let, let me stop right there and say, that this is a horrible way to live. If you had leprosy in ancient Israel, you were considered unclean. You were considered to have a disease that exiled you from the community, from the healthy members of the community. This was a disease that affected the skin, perhaps the nervous system, But maybe the worst part about this wasn't what took place in the body. Maybe perhaps the worst part of this is what this disease eventuated, which was that you would be exiled, pushed out of, removed from the people of God. This particular individual spoken of here in the text was to be exiled, so to speak, and was to live home alone. Now, it's one thing if you've got a a condition, and you're sick, and you've got a disease. I mean, it's one thing to have that. But think about then if with that condition, you were forced to live all alone. Or with that, alternatively, if there are other lepers, you would live with other individuals who are struggling with the same thing that you're struggling with. How many of y'all know that would be an awful situation, an awful experience for, for you to to, to, to go through. But, but this is what we're told here in Leviticus. There's more to read, but I just want to give you the snapshot that, that the priest is the one who will have the authority to pronounce a leper clean or hopefully if he went from unclean to this pronouncement of being clean and able to re-enter society. Now, we don't know too many details about these lepers. We don't know how old they were. We don't know how long they suffered. But we do know that they wanted what we would all want if we were in their shoes. They all wanted mercy. They all wanted mercy. And when they saw Jesus, they they didn't cry out, according to Leviticus, they didn't cry out, unclean, unclean, stay away. What they cried out for in this case was for Jesus to show them mercy. They cried out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Now, they did this, of course, from a distance. So they were removed from Jesus, but they said it loud enough to get his attention so that perhaps somehow, some way, their words would reach the ears of Jesus and that Jesus would be moved in response to their, to their requests here. Now, Jesus says this in Luke 17, 14. When he saw them, I love this, he said to them, go, everybody say go. Go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, why would they do that? Well, as I just read in Leviticus 13, because the priest was the one who had the authority to examine the lepers and pronounce the lepers clean or unclean. Now, in this case, in this story, if you read it slowly and you try to place yourself in the leper's shoes, well, this had to have sounded a little bit crazy when they heard Jesus say, go and show yourselves to the priests. Why? Well, because these lepers knew very, 
very well, they're very clear concerning their condition that they were not clean, but what? They were unclean. They had suffered with leprosy. They had dealt with it. They knew they had it. And here in the text, when they cry out for mercy, Jesus does not enter their space and lay hands on them and pray for them. He just says, go show yourself to the priests. Now, it would have made made sense if Jesus had approached them, laid hands on them, and they got healed. Then, okay, let's go tell the priests and let's let's go show the priests and then let the priests then declare us to be clean. Like, that would make sense. But in the text, as we walk through it, well... When Jesus says this, and directly after this, they are still unclean. But Jesus says, go to the priest, show yourselves to the priests, assuming that the priests would declare them to be clean. But they weren't yet clean. Now, in contemporary language, this would be like you getting diagnosed with cancer on Monday. Going to the doctor and... They run the scan, put you through all the different scans, show you the tumor on the screen, show you how big that tumor is, show you your blood work, and and make it very clear to you that you are very sick and that you're going to die unless a miracle takes place. It's like being diagnosed on Monday, and then the next day you meet this man named Jesus that tells you to go show yourself to the doctor on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day. Now, if that had been me and I had not seen myself healed or felt that I had been healed, if I still felt sick, it wouldn't make sense for me to go back to the doctor and to show myself to him, to hear him tell me what I already know. Does that make sense? So if you're a leper, why would you go to the priest and the priest tell you something that you already know about yourself, namely that you're still unclean? It sounds kind of like a cruel joke, doesn't it? Like, what, what, could, what, what, what good could come of this, of me going, us going to the priests again? Well, we don't know all the details about this story, but we do have what Luke tells us. And I want to point out to you something very important. In Luke 17, verse 14, the very end of this verse, listen, listen to what Luke tells us. That they may have had questions, maybe it didn't make full sense to them, but we're told in verse 14 that this, here's what, here's what the text says. And as they, what? And as they went, they were what? (laughs) Say it again, they were what? They were cleansed. The miracle didn't happen right when they cried out. The miracle happened, let me use this language, while they were on the way. While they were on the way to the priests, they were, let's use this word, they were cleansed. On the way, something happened. Their skin returned to normal. Their feeling, the feeling returned to their extremities. I I don't know if they you know, commented on their condition being changed along the way. But I mean, imagine you're, you're with nine other lepers and you're on the way. And then all of a sudden you've been dealing with this issue called leprosy for, for years. And then all of a sudden, while you're on the way, you felt like at first you're struggling, you know, you, you didn't walk normally because maybe you're missing some toes, you know, you're on the way, but then all of a sudden one brother looks at another brother and be like, dude, your toes growing back. And then another one looks at another one like, you got a nose, you know, like your, your nose is growing, bro. Look, look, I'm being a little bit silly, but at the same time, think about, 
Think about the miracle that happened on the way. Man, you got toes, you got a nose, you're, dude, you got an ear. <laughs> you know? And I don't know if they gave high fives back in the first century, but, 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 but if, they, if they'd given one another high fives for the miracle, for the, the, the obvious miracle taking place in their lives, it would have been the first time that they had felt a connection with somebody else because the feeling had returned in their hands. Are y'all with me today? I mean, just imagine with me how they must have felt while they were on the way. I want you to imagine with me the miracle that took place while they were on the way. I've written it this way. They, They were deformed, but on the way, they became transformed by the power of God. They were deformed, but on the way they became, say it with me, transformed. And, and we, we're not sure if they encountered anybody else along the way, but after they got their healing, if someone were to have asked, how did this cleansing take place? How did this healing take place? Well, the answer must have been Jesus. Because there was no, you know, no, no doctors that we're aware of, no one along the way that met them. There was no herbal remedy. There was nothing that happened along the way except for the fact that they obeyed Jesus and they, they did what, what he told them to do. And somehow, some way, miraculously, while they were on the way, they received their healing. So if somebody asked them, how did you get clean? The answer which should be our answer as well. The answer is Jesus. His name is Jesus. How did you get clean? How did you get forgiven? How did you get delivered? Well, people help along the way, but at the end of the day, the right answer is always Jesus. Come on, say the name, Jesus. I'm clean, I'm delivered, I'm free, I'm whole today because of Jesus. How about you? Come on, y'all, give Jesus some praise. It happened for them. I love this. On, on the what? On the way. Now, obviously for us today, the real issue is not skin disease. The issue for us is sin disease. Because listen, we are alienated because of our sin. Sin alienates us from God and from people. I've used this before. We are exiles. We are born as exiles, strangers and foreigners. We are born in that condition We are unclean because of sin. And the only cure for the sickness of our sin is Jesus. Come on, say the name. Jesus, the Savior who died to make us clean in God's sight. And listen to me, I don't care how dark your life is, how deplorable, how despicable. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what you've done. The good news is that the moment you place your faith in Jesus, you turn to him, you place your faith in him, that he makes you clean in God's sight. You say, I don't feel clean. It doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is what God says about you. You are clean. You are delivered. You are ransomed. You are redeemed. You are whole. Because of Jesus, you've been made well. Come on, church. You are whole before him, irrespective of how you feel. And and, and man, I love this about the story because, because we see 10, 10 get cleansed who had dealt with this issue for however long, we're not told, but it was a horrible, perdurable condition for them. But thank God that Jesus 
traveled to this village. Thank God that Jesus showed up. Thank God they cried out. Thank God that Jesus did this miracle for them so that it, well, at least one would have a testimony concerning the power and the faithfulness of God. How many of y'all have a testimony because of your miracle, because of the miracle God did in your life, you can say that you were once in darkness, but now you've been brought into his marvelous light. You're not perfect. You're not exactly where you want to be, but thank God you're not where you used to be. You're marching, you're moving by the spirit of God. Jesus has cleansed you. He's done a work in you and you like me, we should let the world know that it's Jesus who did it and continues to do it. Look at first John one, eight through nine. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to, there's the word, and I did not put that here. I did not insert it in place of another word. What does it say? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of y'all are thankful that when Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place. He died to forgive us from our sins. He died for us so that we who are in exile could come home to God to live in his presence forever. And because of Jesus, we have fellowship with God and we can have fellowship with one another. Y'all, that's the most incredible news that can ever be pronounced from any microphone across this world. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died to bring us home. Jesus died to cure us from our spiritual leprosy. Can I get an amen? Because you know it's true. Boy, I'm fired up in this service, y'all. This is what Jesus has done for us. He cleanses us. And every time we go to him, he opens up a fountain, so to speak, of, of mercy. How many of y'all know there are massive, there's massive amounts of mercy in the gospel? Massive amounts of mercy in Jesus. A great amount of grace through Jesus Christ for every person who realizes his or her need. That's all you gotta do is say, Jesus, I know my need, I know my sin, and I'm really glad I know my Savior. Lord, give me grace, give me mercy. If you kept a record of sins, I can't stand, but because you are good, I have forgiveness, I have cleansing. So Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for doing this miracle of salvation in my life. And the same God who started the work, come on, y'all, will finish that work. He's going to take you along the way. And he's going to cleanse you along the way to bring you blameless in God's sight. They went from watch, From unclean to what? From unclean to clean. And it happened, I love this, on the... And how many of y'all know something's happened the moment that we pray, like you need a miracle. And then sometimes things happen like right then. How many of y'all are thankful for that? How many of y'all are real super spiritual and religious and you say things like, Lord Jesus, I just trust your timing. Lord, whenever you want to. But Lord, I really need you to now. Like yesterday. And then God doesn't do it then. And then you get, well, you don't say it, but you get a little frustrated with God. How many of y'all know the best time is always right? It's, especially if you're dealing with something big in your life. If you're dealing with cancer, you're dealing with some life-threatening condition. If, you, if you're in dire straits, the right timing is always now for that healing or for that breakthrough. But some, some, some things happen the moment we pray or maybe just after. But how many of y'all know some things happen as we obey and while we are on the way? Some things don't happen like that, even though we love when things happen like that. Some things in our lives, some of the really good things happen in our lives when we obey and we start walking 
along the way, trusting God that Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, Lord, you are going to have your way as I'm on the way. And my prayer is, Lord, if I'm sick, Lord, heal me, deliver me and set me free. But Lord, you're good if you heal me. You're good if you sustain me. You're good if you answer. You're good if you don't answer. You don't owe me a thing, but by the grace of God, I get every good thing in you. So Lord, do what you do because what you do is always good. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna praise you. And I'm gonna give you the thanks because you're always good even when my circumstances aren't. That's the way a mature Christian prays along the way. But there should be a sense of expectation along the way. Lord Jesus, I'm crying out, I'm believing. If you haven't done it initially, you're gonna do it eventually as I'm obedient to, to move along the way of obedience. And I wanna encourage you, just do, do what God's asking you to do from his word. Trust him, trust his word. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. How many of y'all know we should be building our lives on the very words that will never pass away? Just trust his word. Trust his word. When you can't trace his hand, trust his word. Stand on the word. Believe the word. And if you die, listen, on the other side of your death, you get your healing in heaven. You will get your full healing. Either in this age, but I promise you will in the age to come, we will be healed. If you're dealing with a chronic issue today, I'm going to pray for you to get healed. If you don't get healed in this life, I promise you will in the next. Because Jesus lived, he died, he rose from death. And one day we're gonna get our glorified bodies. Come on, y'all. We're gonna be made perfect one day. So don't grow weary in, in, in your suffering. Know that one day God's gonna come through. If it's not in your timing, I promise you, he's got a moment when he's gonna make it all right for you once again. How many of y'all believe the promises of God? We gotta trust God along the way. Something's happened the moment we pray. Something's happened along the way but we trust the way maker, the promise keeper, the one who delivers, the one who split the Red Sea, the one who caused manna to fall from the sky, the one who sent his son from heaven to the earth, the one who raised him from the dead, the one who sent the mighty Holy Spirit to indwell believers. We trust that God, not a God, but that God who did those things. And you can bank, you can trust, you can hope in that God. So from unclean to clean, it happened along the way. Now let me, let me get to the point of the text here. The 10 lepers did everything right, or at least initially. They obeyed Jesus and they went along the way. But nine of them made one tragic mistake. What was that? They failed to turn back to thank Jesus for the miracle. But as y'all know, there was, there was, thank God, for us as an example, an exception. To the nine, there was the Luke 17, 15, 16. Then, say it with me. One of them. When he saw that he was healed. Ah, I got fingers. <laughs> ah, this is amazing. I can feel again. Turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Notice it wasn't a, thank you, thank you, God, praise you, God. It wasn't a soft, thank you. With a, what? Why am I so loud? There are a lot of reasons. Because I really believe what I'm preaching. And I really believe that God is as good as he says he is and that we see that he is. 
with a loud voice. And he fell on his, what? His face at Jesus' feet, giving him what? Thanks. And this is just, obviously, the text is showing us, Luke is showing us that, that this man wanted to make sure that Jesus knew that he knew that Jesus was the reason for the healing. This was at his feet to say, this was you, Jesus, this was you. It wasn't chance. It wasn't luck. It was God, the God of all creation, working through Jesus, the Son, the eternal Son, that eventuated this healing. He fell down, and he gave him thanks. Now, he was a... Samaritan. He was otherwise despised by Jews. There's a real tense relationship between Jews and Samaritans. I'll spare you the story. It goes back to the 8th century BC, as you all remember, the 8th century BC. Uh, there's a whole story there. But I can't get into it. Do I really want to? Let me move on. Uh, <laughs> the Samaritans, there's animosity between them. And, and this, this was a Samaritan, and Luke highlights. The Samaritan here to probably show that this was, at least from natural appearances, the least likely, the least likely to turn back and to thank this Jewish Messiah, but nonetheless, he did. And here's the way I've written it. Ten were made clean, but only one came clean, that is, told the truth, by turning back to give God the praise that he deserved and by thanking Jesus for the miracle. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, ten prayed but only one praised. Ten said, have mercy. Ten received mercy, but only one turned back to praise God for the mercy. Are y'all tracking? I don't know how this all went down. The one, the one might have said to the others, guys, we just got healed. We've been in this condition for years. No one else has been able to help us. We've been in our little colony, in our little village. <clears throat> and then we encounter this man named Jesus. We cry out. He tells us to go to the priest on the way. Look, dude, you got toes. Look, man, your skin looks normal again. We got our lives back. This wasn't something like I had a little sore. Oh, praise God. I mean, praise God for everything, right? I mean, we can only imagine how awful their condition was. I can just imagine the one saying, guys, this isn't right. We got our lives back. We got our dignity back. We can enter society once again. The least that we can do is turn back to thank the one who made this possible. It's the least we could do. I don't know if he said it, but the logic of it is impeccable. Shouldn't we turn to thank the one who brought this to pass? Who did this miracle in our lives? Let me make some application. Some people, and I've done this, so I'm with you. My name is Pastor Scott, and I'm always your. Some people get so caught up in the gift or gifts that, well, they forget to thank the giver. And sometimes we fail to acknowledge where that gift really came from. I'm sure the others were grateful. How could they not be? But it's been said that gratitude isn't really gratitude until it's expressed. 
It doesn't do anyone any good until that comes out of your mouth to acknowledge where your help comes from. It acknowledges that you are aware that that blessing did not come from within. That blessing came from above. And you're acknowledging, God, God, you did this. Even if you used somebody else, even if you used something else, God, you are the source. And it does you, your soul a lot of good when you turn back to thank God and the people that God's placed in your life who have helped bring the blessing to pass in your life, whatever the blessing is. Listen carefully. I've written this. Every good and perfect gift is from, everybody say from. It's from him. Even if that good gift comes through something or someone else. Does that make sense? It's all from him. But the good things can come through, well, whatever God wants them to come through. UPS. <laughs> USPS. Hey, like I, Amazon, like I have, I have, it's not an addiction. I don't want to overstate my case. Listen, I need another book like Lafayette needs another car wash. Okay, so, um, but <laughs> if you're a car wash owner, God bless you. you. We needed one more. Yours was the one we needed. Uh, it was just one more. But after that, no more. Okay. <laughs> but listen, every, every, Jeb, what was I talking about? Uh, okay. Um, however it comes, through the mail, Amazon, that's where I was. I love books. I love getting stuff in the mail. You could send a, a brown box to my address, and I just get excited about going out to the mailbox, getting stuff. If it comes through a job, UPS, USPS, FedEx, a relationship, a church, a set of relationships, uh, a set of seemingly random, random set of circumstances, God knows your address. And that blessing arrived in your life because the sender is your savior and he loves you with an everlasting love that's greater than anybody could ever articulate. But he sends things into your life as demonstrations of his great love and the greatest thing he could ever send, the greatest one he could ever send is his very own son to this world to die in your place. And given the enormity of the blessing of your life, given the enormity of the gifts in your life, the most appropriate response is for us to turn back to thank the giver for the gifts and to acknowledge, God, you did this. It's good for you to regularly say thank you. When your kids say thank you, what do you call that? Someone said a miracle. <laughs> what does that do for you? Doesn't that empower you to want to do more? Thank God that he doesn't necessarily operate that way. God, before we were ever thanking God, even when we don't thank God, he already sent the best that he could ever send Jesus in our place. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't you think the appropriate response is to say, Lord, I can't earn a thing, but I'm going to thank you for everything, beginning with your son who came and lived and bled and died and rose and has ascended to the right hand of God. Shouldn't we be the people of praise and thanks? And out of his goodness, he just keeps on 
bringing one blessing after another. You say, what does that mean? I don't know. I just know that he's, he's a good God. And blessings come in different shapes, sizes, and forms. And I'm not going to relegate it to material things, but uh, how many of y'all know somebody donates a boat? You're going to gladly take it in Jesus' name? Yeah, I mean... We're not Gnostics. We don't, you know, we, we, we believe the material world is just the material world. It's not evil. We, we receive good things, but we have all these promises in Jesus. Every spiritual blessing, even if you don't have nice things, you've got a great Savior who loves you. Do you believe in the prosperity gospel? Yes, I do. I believe that Jesus makes us spiritually rich. And if you don't have much of anything in this life, oh, come on, y'all. He's got a mansion prepared. He's got a place prepared for you. And the point of heaven is not the streets of gold, but the presence of Jesus, the Lamb, and God's presence that will be with us. We will be with him forever. Come on, y'all. It doesn't get any better than that. But Jesus, if you want to give me a boat, I'll take the boat. All right, let me land the plane. And yeah, I meant that. It's 12.07. You're not used to hearing me say that at 12.07, but let me begin to wrap up. And I'll stress begin. Are y'all ready? That's why you're my favorite. So are y'all ready? Two things happen. Two things. There are, there are more, but for the sake of time, there are two things that happen when we turn back. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Turning back to praise breaks the power of pride in our lives. So I've written, and I'm going to say, that pride and praise cannot coexist in the human heart. You cannot be prideful and thankful at the same time. What do I mean by that? Uh, Pastor Tim Delina had, there's a preaching clip from, I guess, last week, and he was talking about plagiarism of preachers um, taking from what other churches are doing or what other people are doing and doing that, and he called that plagiarism. And that's a whole other message. Well, let me just take that concept and let me, let me spin it in a different way, in a different context. I live, I'm, so I'm a pastor, obviously. I preach here almost every Sunday, uh, but... I also serve as a professor at two universities, actually three, but uh, most of my work goes to two. And uh, I write academic articles, I publish academic books, and in that world, there's one thing that you want to avoid with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that's plagiarism. What is plagiarism? It's taking somebody else's what? Work and taking what? Credit for that work as if you were the one who did the work. Are y'all tracking? You don't plagiarize. If you plagiarize, you are in big, big, big trouble in the world I live in. Which is, by the way, the reason I also said I got this idea from Pastor Tim, but I'm using it in a different context because I don't want to plagiarize. Even from the pulpit, especially from the pulpit. But let me just use the concept here, okay? All too often, God does certain works in our lives. And instead of citing the source, we take credit for it ourselves and in doing so, sin against the great giver of that gift. Does that make sense? So God did the work. I mean, you're involved, right? It involves you, it involves me. You are involved. God gave you the breakthrough. God sets you free. God sustained your child. God did the work. God brought the blessing. But then sometimes we take credit for that work and claim it as our own. 
Let me help you. That work is not your work. That work was from another. That work was from God. So when you see the work and appreciate the work, what am I saying? Cite the source. Cite the one who did that work in your life. Give credit to him. Does that make sense? Don't plagiarize God. And we've all done it. When we fail to acknowledge where it came from, when we take credit for it like we're the ones who did it, we sin. Praise gives credit where the credit is due, doesn't it? So if you go out to eat with someone and somebody else pays for your meal, dude, thank you. Someone opens the door for you, thank you. If someone does a good thing for you, don't let that just go on. Turn back and give thanks. If somebody meets with you and prays for you, if someone does a good thing for you, one of the most Christian things you should do is turn back and give thanks to the one who did it, knowing that it came from him but through that person. Does that make sense? One of the most unchristian things to do is to receive a good thing and go about your way as if you deserved it to begin with. We live in a very entitled time, in a very entitled culture. It's called America. And I love, I love my country. But let me help the world, beginning with America. The only thing that we're entitled to and deserve is hell. Well, I deserve the good. I deserve for you. I, Let me speak to you from a biblical anthropology, from Scripture. We are born in sin, naughty by nature, rebels against God. We've committed high treason, high treason against the most high God. And because of that, we are exiles, we are foreigners, and we, we deserve no good thing. See, the moment you think you deserve a good thing is the moment you failed to understand the nature of mercy and grace. But we are an entitled people. It's a, it's a sickness that's in everyone to, to an extent. It's uglier in some than it is in others. But gratitude moves us from this sinful mindset. Someone said, I'm a self-made success. And if it's a Christian speaking, I'm going to turn back and say, no, you are a blood-bought miracle. That's what you are. Don't ever forget that. You're a blood-bought miracle. We deserved hell, but God gives us heaven. Isn't that just unbelievable? When you turn back to praise, you break the power of pride in your life by acknowledging that you're not the source. God's the source. Number two, then we're done. When we are thankful, everybody say thankful. Are y'all thankful I'm going to land early? When we are thankful, our lives suddenly become plentiful. And by that, I'm not saying that if you're thankful, then you're going to go home and all of a sudden you're going to have a new car, a new Benz in your driveway, and it's going to be money, 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 money cometh. I'm not saying that. 
This is, there's no causal relationship between your thanks and the material things that you, you receive in your life. It doesn't always work that way. Yes, you can pray for things, yes, and God does what God does. But I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that there's a perspective that you get when you're thankful that helps you see what other people can't see in their ingratitude. So a heart of gratitude gives us the eyes to see the blessing. Ingratitude focuses on what you don't have. Keeping up with the, the Joneses. Who are the Joneses anyway? Keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, if we had this, if I had that, if I had that car, if I had that house, if I had that body, if I had that, 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 whatever. Ingratitude focuses on, focuses on what you don't have. But gratitude focuses on what you, what? You do have. And when you have it, you begin to see it, the blessing. In its small forms, in the larger forms. Someone said, give me one reason to thank God. Maybe you're mad this morning because your life isn't going the way that you wanted it to. Give me one reason to thank God, Pastor Scott. Okay, you just want one? Give you about 600 if you got time. You're alive. You're alive. Let's just start right there. You have air in your lungs. You have a beat in your heart. You have friends by your side. You have spiritual family all around. And you have the Holy Spirit of God within. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> Give me one. How about air, water? Come on, Cajuns, food. You know, the Apostle Paul, you know, I love what he, he's so determined to live a self-controlled life. He said, I will not be mastered by anything. It's because the Apostle Paul had never eaten at Popeye's. <laughs> Come on, those biscuits, that's tough. Air, water, food, your health, job, friends, country, with all of its problems. We still live in the greatest country in the world. It's got a lot of problems. And the solution is Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> but entitlement, going back to that for just a minute, entitlement brings resentment. When we're entitled and we don't get what we want, that brings resentment. But thankfulness brings content. Meant. Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, not, everybody say not, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So whether Paul was in the pit or if he was in the penthouse, in the palace, he learned to be content. What does that mean? Well, there are, there are a lot of applications. The trick is when you're in the palace, in the penthouse, the trick is, okay, I got all this stuff. Okay. The tendency is to think, okay, now I can be content because I have everything I need. Ooh, but that's tricky, isn't it? 
Because if you've ever been in the penthouse, you've ever been in the palace, you realize that those things are nice, but those things can never truly bring you joy. The more you have, the more you have to keep up with. The more you have, the more you have to clean or pay somebody to clean or organize. Things of this world can be nice, but nothing in this world, y'all know it, can satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. Only God can do that. And so the trick is if you're in the palace and you should not feel bad for living there. And if you live there, invite me over to have lunch with you. There's nothing wrong with that, but you better learn to not place your trust in that because the palace can become a pit very quickly. What you have can be taken away very quickly. The secret is whether I'm there or if I'm down here, if I'm lacking everything, it's knowing that that may be true circumstantially, but internally, the greater one lives inside. I've got Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. The secret is that I can face any circumstance because Jesus is with me and with you in every circumstance, giving us everything that we need. And he is our very great reward, isn't he? So if you're living in a very small house, if you're living in, living in a very big house, the trick is to lean in, experience God, trust the promises and realize that your peace does not come from where you live. Your peace comes from the one who lives inside of you. And his name is Jesus by the Holy Spirit of God. Can I get an amen? As we conclude, this story, as I think you know, it's not just about a physical healing, although they, they got their healings. It's about, at least in part, the spiritual health of a foreigner who turned back to thank Jesus and the other nine went their way. And we're told here that when the leper turned back, then he went from physical healing to receiving a much bigger healing. Let's read Luke 17, 17 through 19. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? How many of y'all know he knew the answer? We're not 10 cleansed, question mark in the grammar. Where, your next question, where are the nine? How many of y'all know Jesus knew where they were? It's a rhetorical effect here that he's trying to get across. Verse 18, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And I'm like, hey, Jesus, I have a name. Sounds kind of derogatory, huh? Was no one found to return and give praise to God? Thanks to me, I could add, except this foreigner? Verse 19, and he said to this man who turned and came back, he says, rise from this place of thanksgiving. Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Sozo has made you well. Jesus calls this thankful leper a foreigner. He's a Samaritan. Let me step out of the text for a second. How many of y'all know, by nature, we're all foreigners. Because of our sin, we're all exiled from God. 
We're all foreigners. We're aliens. We're strangers. Those estranged from the blessing of God. Those who've been removed because of our own sin away from the presence of God. We're all foreigners. Though we have, we have, we have names, we're, we're, all, we're all foreigners. We're all alienated from God. And the great news, the great news of the word of God, the good news of what we call it, the gospel, which is the good news is that Jesus died. He came from heaven, from the clean space of heaven to the uncleanness of this earth. Jesus was exiled. He was placed on the cross. He was nailed to the cross. He suffered. He bled. He died in exile. He died in your place. He died for your uncleanness. He died for you so that you can come home to God. So that we are no longer foreigners, are we? Hello. We are no longer strangers, are we? We are no longer exiles, are we? No, no, no. We are the blood-bought, spirit-indwelt, promise-driven, Messiah-seeking children of the living God. That's who we are. No longer covered in spiritual leprosy. No longer dealing with the sin disease that alienates us from God, at least not in the judicial sense. It's been paid for. And now for the rest of our lives, we put to death the very thing that Jesus died for in the flesh. We put to death sin on a daily basis, crucifying it, saying no to sin, saying yes to God. And sometimes those farthest away from God bring the greatest amount of praise to God when they are made well. When you realize how deep, how dark, and how ugly your sin is, how far away from God you were, and then you realize by the revelation of God now because of Jesus, how close you are, boy, that'll turn you into a Pentecostal real fast but we should be a people of praise, people of thanksgiving, people who understand who we were and now who we are in light of Christ. And one of the greatest indications that you are spiritually well is that you turn back regularly to praise God and to thank God and the people that he's placed in your life.